0: Hello and welcome to the UCL and British Academy podcast series, Working Well with AI. I'm Rose Luckin, Professor of Learner Centred Design at the UCL Knowledge Lab. In this podcast series, we're exploring how artificial intelligence, AI, is changing the world of work. AI has long been predicted to reshape our working lives, and it has developed in leaps and bounds over the past decade. And as we emerge from a global pandemic, we're rethinking how we work, what sort of work we value, and what we need for the future. In this episode, we'll be discussing sector and scale. We'll hear about the experiences of UK businesses as they engage with AI, especially those in less oriented sectors and small and medium-sized enterprises. We'll explore how the impact of AI is felt across the different geographies in the UK. And finally, we'll discuss how UK businesses can use AI to tap into more diverse talent pools and create more diverse workplaces. And today, I'm so pleased that I have with me Dumla Apidu, Head of Experience at Culture Shift, also a board member at the Greater Manchester Local Enterprise Partnership as well as a trustee for Diversity UK, welcome Vimlan, and Dana Elman-Vishkin, Innovation Delivery Manager at the Digital Catapult, and former Senior Policy Advisor for Innovation, Enterprise and Trade at the Federation of Small Businesses of the UK. Dana has also worked with corporate clients in an analytics consulting firm that has since been acquired by Deloitte Analytics Israel. Interesting. And for both of you, my first question, and I'll come to you first, Vimlar, is can you tell me what really gets you fired up, gets you out of bed in the morning to get you working um, and thinking about AI?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's great to be um, surrounded by such inspirational people. Um so the thing that really gets me fired up around AI is what you mentioned in the introduction, and that's the diversity piece. It's how do we how do we leverage what artificial intelligence can bring to the workplace and use it to help overcome some of the um, inclusion barriers that we have? So historically, technology has excluded um disenfranchised communities it's been very exclusive in who's who it's included and how decisions have been made and I think we're on the brink of AI uh, becoming more commonplace in the workplace and therefore there's a huge opportunity for us to overcome some of those barriers and really as practitioners in the space use that opportunity to make sure more people and more voices are included.
0: Thank you Vimna and at the same what, what sparks your interest gets you going gets you fired up when it comes to AI and the workplace?
2: So for me, thinking about AI starts uh, with the importance and use of data for small businesses. Because my background before specializing in small businesses. I worked uh, in uh, analytics uh, in Israel, where I'm originally from. And you may remember the phrase uh, a few years ago that data is the new oil. I think there is something, a bit, it's, it's a bit misleading. Uh, the exciting thing about AI innovation is collecting the right types of data in the best ways possible. Um, and we want to ensure accuracy when we use AI. It's a, it's a brilliant tool, um, which also provides um, generates social impact. And I, I really became excited about the technology when I saw how social impact is generated by AI startups in various uh, industries, including healthcare, uh, agriculture. Um, and I, it's, it's a pleasure to be here today at the podcast, of course, today to speak about that.
0: Thank you, and it's a pleasure to welcome both of you to this podcast, and I think I can understand both of those reasons for being fired up about AI. The House of Lords inquiry in 2018 highlighted the importance for the UK business sector as a whole of being able to compete with other countries in the development and adoption of artificial intelligence in the 21st century. So it would be great during the first part of the conversation today to focus on how UK businesses from different sectors and sizes are doing on this process of AI adoption and development, particularly small and medium-sized enterprises and those businesses who've not traditionally engaged with AI in the past, or perhaps not even with digital technologies. So Dana, coming to you first, if I may, um, I'd like to ask you about your current role with the Digital Catapult because you interact with a lot of UK business working to develop AI, and you've also worked extensively with small and medium-sized enterprises adopting AI in the past. So I'm intrigued about your time at the Federation of Small Businesses when you authored a report in 2018 that touches on small businesses' productivity, digital technology, and AI, So what do we know about UK business AI adoption and development in the UK?
2: That report was a really interesting piece that I am really pleased that I had um, um, the opportunity to conduct. Just uh, quickly about the report, it was conducted in 2018, as you said, and it was conducted through a survey that was sent to all FSB members across the UK and members were invited to participate through email and social media channels uh, to participate in the survey. And we also conducted semi-structured interviews and focus groups uh, across the UK, in Cardiff and Glasgow, as, as well as in London. Um, we wanted to test what is innovation for small businesses. And when we tested innovation, how would they engage with it, what it means to them, we realized that it's it, for some for some businesses it's um, the ability to compete on a day to day basis, and um, for others it's a buzzword. The first major finding from that report was that of all FSB members, only two percent have used AI in the three years prior to the survey. And most of the firms that have said that they used AI were, were the larger uh, in the larger category, so above 10 employees. Um, we also saw that members, of all members in information and communications uh, sector, 15% have adopted uh, AI. So we see that from a sector, when you analyze it from a sector uh, point of view, the, there are sectors that use AI more than others. Um, We also found that 4% of members in manufacturing adopt AI and 2% of professional scientific and technical activities industry adopt AI, whereas none in construction or retail have done so. Um, I think it would be useful to say, to to provide more context about digital technologies adoption in general, because AI is uh, an advanced next step. After um, adopting digital technologies, I'm happy to add another finding, uh, and that's about views on AI among business owners. So we found that thirty two percent of small businesses think that AI would provide value to their business. And this positive view was um, this positive view has increased with um, age of business owner. So if the business owner was up to, the age of forty-four years old, we found forty-seven percent of them uh, had a positive view on AI on and their impact on the business. And the conclusion from these findings uh, that we mentioned in the report was that the UK should uh, prioritize specific um, specific approaches to make to make sure that all groups can have the ability to adopt AI, but it's worth knowing that one policy to fit all is not necessarily the right approach because they are distinct groups.
0: I can see that from the data that you've described. That is fascinating. I often wonder to what extent in in a part of the world where I look most of the time, which is education and training, it seems to me that uh, so many organizations are not aware of the possibilities that AI could bring to their businesses. And yet others are. So there's, it's very varied. I can see that. And that's really interesting, the data um, from that report. Thank you. So, Vimla, I'd like to come to you now because you've done a lot of work with the UK digital and technology sector. What have you witnessed through your experience within your own business and through the work you've done with SMEs, especially those who are adopting these technologies for the first time?
1: Yeah, thank you. I'd really like to pick up on a point that Dana made there around AI being a bit of a buzzword. Please. And I, th- I think it's um it's a really, really important point because it shows us when we're working with SMEs or in the technology sector is the lack of understanding about what artificial intelligence actually is. And often what we start to see, what I've seen in my experience is that um, many businesses, or particularly SMEs or startups, will say that they're an AI company. But in reality they're just working with data and there is this tension between organizations that understand data and are using data versus using artificial intelligence and that like you said like you've explained it that next step and that next progression in digital transformation and I think that that misunderstanding or misconception of what AI actually is is one of the biggest barriers and, and that holds the key to unlocking what the future is for artificial intelligence until we are able to get that clarity and understanding of what it is and the benefits it can have, um, we're not going to be able to kind of nurture that that sector in that environment. Um, and as part of that, I think the, again, going back to that diversity and inclusion, it's understanding how we collect that data in an ethical way to ensure that all voices are in, included in that process so that when we do get to that AI part, it's it's therefore representative of the communities that we serve. And at the moment, I think, again, one of the barriers is um, we've got two two kind of trains going at the same time. We've got the slow adopters who don't understand AI and therefore are just starting to unpick the data that they have and how to use it and how to do that kind of simple data analysis to make conclusions versus the fast train of uh, Mm. data collection and AI in the big corporates who are, pulling data from all these sources aren't questioning the validity the um you know the ethics the who's been excluded what does this represent uh how do we show what the conclusions are and are just running with it to prove that they they've got in that space they are the leaders as you said they can be the kind of forefront for the next hundred years <laughs> um and that's a really big tension because it sets a precedent and it sets the the kind of Uh, traction in the the direction of travel for those smaller businesses who are trying to play catch up and if if we don't slow down the people that are moving fast and speed up the people that are moving slow we're going to end up in a space where AI I don't want to say is dangerous but just isn't doing what it's meant to do and it isn't having that social impact that Dana spoke so eloquently about it's it can really quickly have the adverse effect and we've seen that through tech AI technology that has been launched in the world over the past few years of just not quite being fit for purpose for masses of like masses of the population um, and that's one of the real dangers but I also think that one of the barriers for the digital and technology sector is that access to talent as well so in Manchester we're really lucky right. to have such a huge talent pool with kind of the three universities there and That leads to graduates from data science backgrounds or computer science backgrounds um, and often PhD students who can feed straight into that sector. But that isn't true for regions across the UK. So we need to understand how we work together um, to help retrain people or upskill or whatever it might be to ensure that talent is there for what is quickly becoming the future of of technology in the space.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I can understand what you're saying about talent only only too well, but coming back to your point about geography um, and particularly how we might encourage AI development and adoption outside the golden triangle of London, Oxford and Cambridge – um, we know that the UK government spends less on research and development than the OECD average, and that almost half of the existing spend is spent in that golden triangle. So clearly, there are some some problems in, in terms of geography and and, and different regions. Um, so thinking about you know the impact of geographical location in terms of the differences in AI innovation and adoption across the country. You've obviously worked across the country, but what have you seen in particular with your work with small and medium-sized enterprises outside the Golden Triangle? You've said a little about Manchester, but can you say a little bit more about that, please?
1: Yeah, I, so I definitely think that within within Manchester and well, across Greater Manchester, um, we've been able to foster a community in and of itself and uh, initiatives like the Northern Powerhouse and, um focusing on on what it means to be a technology business outside of london has really helped that kind of community thrive i also think it's one of the um on effects of covid has shown how easy it yeah. is to promote work and um and to build those connections and relationships with london or the golden triangle in that virtual space so without needing to be physically based there um, which again, has really opened up the doors for what that interconnection looks like, but also opened the doors for hiring outside of your region because you can work remotely now. But, yeah, I think it's really it's really important that we keep that momentum going and don't fall back into staying within that golden triangle and staying within those barriers, but continuing to use online tools as a way of connecting and establishing how AI innovation can happen outside of it, but also leveraging everything that is happening outside of London to make sure that that communication is fed back.
0: That makes sense. And it's interesting, the point you make about actually the the pandemic and remote working perhaps is helping smaller um, companies, you know, have greater opportunities because they're not perhaps having to pay for office space and they can access talent um, from lots of different places so that's really interesting it would be nice to see that kind of benefit coming out of uh, of a pandemic for sure Um, and and Donna, to come back to you please in your report you touched on the importance of the UK government's coordination and stewardship role to support a wider diffusion of innovation and AI uptake across the UK so what type of policy recommendations do you think would be useful for the UK government that could encourage firms to modernize and work with digital technologies and AI, especially for those companies outside of uh, the golden triangle?
2: Yeah, um, so if we focus on the adoption part, um, I would say that we should, when we think about small businesses as AI users, the end users who are buy an off-the-shelf uh, product or uh, will will assess their needs and implement bespoke uh, tool. The more traditional small businesses, we're looking at nurseries makeup artists, at small accounting firms. We're looking at those more traditional companies and there are several options that can be considered by the UK. So first of all, um, the Help to Grow scheme It's relatively new. It's a good step forward. And the Help to Grow scheme is... um, Further work can be done by increasing the grant value to achieve adoption. So, for example, the Help to Grow... Um, is, a, is a grant. I'm talking about the digital track, the digital adoption. Uh, a small business founder engages with an online platform to, to adopt a digital technology, but I think it won't replace the need for a chat with an advisor. So still there's a need for that. There's also the thing about innovation vouchers or creative credits. It depends uh about the specific branding but we're talking about a form of direct matched funding which is a good incentive and i saw that there's an existing scheme uh in birmingham and other cities but there is a list of cities so we, if a small business does not come from that list of cities they don't they don't uh, they they're not eligible and I know that there is another scheme in Manchester, um, but it will be great to see wider outreach for this scheme because after the pandemic, as uh, Vilma said, it's, it's important to see how businesses can come from all across the UK and, um, and connect remotely with whether it's with an advisor or an online platform and see how they can use this great tool of AI to promote their needs. And I think that uh, there's uh, another element that uh, I'd like to touch upon, and that's the signposting. How do right. small businesses know about what exists out there? So, from the report at the time, we found that um, only 10% of innovators accessed government support to make uh, significant to make changes in their business, and of those that did not. Uh, almost half said they did not know of any support. So I think this is an interesting finding. Um, so back in 2018, there was definitely um, further work to be done. I think the UK is doing much better today. And uh, and I'd like to, I hope to see improvement in signposting uh, after implementing this new innovation strategy. Um, now that now that adoption and diffusion of uh, innovation is ingrained in the UK's objectives.
0: And now I'd like to move on to the topic that I know um, is very important to both of you, and that is diversity and equity in the workplace, Um, particularly in UK businesses. And this is central um, to any discussion of AI in the workplace and indeed any discussion of the wider technology sector but I'd like to get a sense of how it plays on the world of AI and work and how might the adoption of AI help UK businesses address the issues that they face with respect to diversity and equity. I mean we have touched on this a little bit already, but Vimla, you've done a lot of very important work on diversity and equity in the workplace, um, from being a trustee at Diversity UK. And delivering fearless change through culture and experience, and have spoken numerous times about the need for a shift in the diversity we see in technology. So how can AI help UK businesses tap into a more diverse talent pool?
1: Yeah, I think there's a really interesting, it's a really interesting tension um, in the recruitment space with how AI could be used. It's very chicken and egg in that the way we've built a lot of hr tools so far that are based on ai have inbuilt bias into those systems and that's based and that's because we have a lack of diversity in the technologists and the the data sets that are the feeding that the algorithms and so therefore it perpetuates the problem however we're not able to overcome that problem until we get more diversity into the sector so it's this cycle of kind of what do we do And I actually think that's the role of practitioners to step in and say we're not ready for the AI technology yet. Because actually, as a sector, we're not mature enough to understand how and what we're building is impacting or disenfranchising those who are already disenfranchised. And that's a big pill to swallow in, in the sense of we've got it. We've got the technology here. Why aren't we using it? It's like actually it's just not fit for purpose. And often we don't realise it's not fit for purpose until it's too late and we've rolled it out and understood the implications. And that goes back to the human-centred design approach that we need to take of testing it early, understanding where those problems come, but including users in that process, like the, the end users, but also the practitioners very, very, very early on in that process. Whereas at the moment it happens far too late. And it, it does mean a really big shift in our me- mentality and methodologies of how we're developing technology and putting it out into the world. So at the moment, I'd actually, I'd, I'd push back and say, I don't think AI can help us get into a diverse tech pool just yet. I think we need to relook at our policies and processes and go on a, um, a culture change journey ourselves as people recruiting into technology to understand where those barriers exist in the first place before we start looking to technology as the solution for overcoming those problems and biases. Because equally... There's no point hiring diverse technologists if they walk through the door and, and then face an unsafe working environment or microaggressions or aren't able to promote through the business or aren't given the same opportunities as their colleagues. So until we actually address those systemic, entrenched um behaviors and patterns that we see and that we know are barriers to minority groups or um anyone who doesn't fit the norm of the technology sector at the moment until we address those technology won't be able to be our solution.
0: Yes and it's a worry isn't it if I understand what you're saying correctly you know we can't just tweak um, the system by adding some AI at the recruitment end we have to do something much more holistic looking at diversity and equity within the kind of work culture as well as at the stage of recruitment and that's a big piece of work. I'd be intrigued to know um, whether there are ways in which AI could be brought in to help with that. I don't know. I mean, I, I wondered if, if some of the work that you've done gives you any kind of hints as to where AI might better be used rather than at the recruitment end.
1: Yeah, I've done a couple of projects um, around Greater Manchester, around, uh, particularly around the around the black and minority minority ethnic experience in the technology sector and our ambition with that project is to collect data at a, a GM level to understand those barriers but again it's not um, it's not deep tech and it's not big data sets it's more uh, the simple technology and understanding yeah. where those commonari- commonalities lie and then using it to inform better policies and processes And as someone who isn't a technologist, I don't know how we can translate that into an algorithm or into something that um, does that for us. But I think there is an opportunity to do that if you were to then scale that out across different regions and understand, like, take it out, lift it out, almost. Um, But I definitely think technology does play a role in it. It's just not quite there yet. And we need to understand how we leverage the, the existing technology we have around blind recruitment or um you know there were there are really interesting tools that pick up um misogynist language in um job specs and recruitment adverts that can help us uh level the playing field around gender and, and all of that kind of thing that can help us on that journey but as you say the hard work is actually the culture change it would be so much easier to just say this ai does it for us yes um, but it's, it's just not it's it's just not that simple until we're able to to change our own mindsets around it first.
0: And and that sounds like a case for human, not just human-centred design, but also for interdisciplinary cross-stakeholder groups getting together, because you were just saying, you know, you're not a technologist, but you understand a lot about the nature of um, workplace culture and some of the issues that the technologists wouldn't understand. So it's also an argument for that kind of cross-stakeholder approach, I think, as well, isn't it? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But I also think um, we need to go further upstream and hold um, kind of PhD panels and the, the accountable to the data sets that they're asking their students to collect. Mm. So rather rather than focusing on the outcome and conclusions, it's actually what was the data that went into this. And have you included a diverse range of people? Have you been able to show that you've gone above and beyond to you know, work with communities that are often left-voiceless in this process. Um, And until we start doing that earlier upstream and and encouraging it as part of that academic process, I think we'll we'll continue to see these problems later downstream when it gets into society and it gets into um, the end user's hands and, you know, they feel the effects of it. Um, And again, for me, that's just a consciousness. It's, It's adding in that step earlier on to make sure that we address it before it's too late. And like you say, before AI continues to get a bad breath of not doing, yeah. not being fit for purpose and not doing what it can, because there is such a huge opportunity and the potential for it to make a massive positive difference. So it's, it's not just
0: important, it's urgent as well, isn't it? And, and yeah it definitely needs attention. Thank you. And, and Dana, just I'd like to come to you and, and ask for your views around diversity
2: and equity with relation to AI. Um, what's your perspective? I think that responsible AI is not the same as AI, and the conversation is gradually uh, developing and becoming more sophisticated in the UK to, to mitigate some of the negative aspects of AI, because as I said in the beginning, um, we're not just enthusiastic about as technology, we're looking at the accuracy of, the, of AI, we're looking at making sure that it will add value. And I, I see this as an uh, evolutionary uh, process for technology, uh, for such a technology. So for example, at Digital Catapult, we engage uh, engaged with dedicated experts in product management and human-centered design for AI. Uh, we expand our AI ethics capacity through collaborations. Uh, we continue our investment in tools to aid the development of responsible AI. And we we offer and and consider scalable engagement with the public through webinars because we want to make sure that um, we're going to, we're going in the right direction with responsible AI. So I I, I think that time uh, is it, with time we see progress in that. I agree with Vilma that uh, there is definitely um, further work that needs to be done. Um, I'm I'm yes. optimistic. I'm optimistic that we'll get there. I
0: like optimism, and I and I love the fact that you're also um, trying to help the public understand because I think that's part that that's sometimes under um, you know miss out and, and not given enough attention. Um, well, we've certainly had a really interesting conversation and identified some important current issues and touched upon some of the trends that could have a major impact on the future of work in the UK. But I think we can't end the podcast uh, without, and we've had a positive note already. That was great to have that optimism, Donna, but I'd love to ask you a little bit about um, the future.
2: The The world I'd like to see in the future is a world where we have um, more diverse uh, and inclusive groups of small business founders that we see more women, uh, joining this entrepreneurial spirit. And I am already, I'm I'm optimistic, not just for the sake of optimism. I read a report, uh, recent report by Coursera about, uh, upskilling and many women much more than before, many more than before, um, are studying and upskilling in AI. I hope that um, a world where UK businesses make the best of AI looks like um, a world where businesses embrace AI as they embrace the World Wide Web, uh, where it's easy to understand, it's accessible, and it provides value to the business.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think that would be great. Thank you, um, Diana. I, I, and Dumla, and for you, um, what would it look like if we had UK businesses making the best of AI? How would that look?
1: I think it would feel happier. And the reason I say yeah, this is with yes. my um with my service design on. <laughs> in that I think if more businesses were able to implement and use artificial intelligence in a way that works, it would see us have seamless services across services and products that mean people's lives become easier. Mm -hmm. It's easier to access things like universal credit or um, access help and support across all sectors of of society. And that's what I think the world will look like. I think it's one where people are able to let go of the stress of form-filling or recruitment or getting a job because it's so much easier and simpler um, and done in a way that they know isn't disenfranchising them but empowering them to make the right decisions for them. Um, and the knock-on effect for the businesses is more business, better business, and having a social impact. That sounds
0: good to me. Great. I've really, really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much. That was a fascinating discussion. So thank you um, to our guests. It really has been a, a huge pleasure to hear your insights, your thoughts. Fantastic. Um, so thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Our guest today were Vimna Appadu, Head of Experience at Culture Shift. And board member at the Greater Manchester Local Enterprise Partnership, as well as trustee for Diversity in UK. And Dana Elman Vishkin, Innovation Delivery Manager at Digital Catapult and former policy advisor for innovation, enterprise, and trade at the Federation of Small Businesses of the UK. Thank you. You've been listening to Working Well with AI. This episode was presented by myself, Rose Luckin. Editing and mixing is by Susie McCarthy. The series is funded by UCL Public Policy, UCL Grand Challenges and the British Academy. To find out more about the AI and the Future of Work project, search for UCL AI and the Future of Work. Thanks for listening and I hope you join us again next time.